This is OPI Talk, the voice of the business products industry. Hello and welcome to another episode of OPI Talk with me, Andy Braithwaite. And today I'm joined by Aco Brand CEO, Boris Ellisman. Hello, Boris. I know, I know it's eight o'clock in the morning for you. So, so thank you for doing this so, so early on, on a Monday morning. Hello, Andy, and hello to our audience. Very uh, happy to speak with you again. Okay, great. Now, you, you've been on OPI Talk uh, a number of times, and we really have appreciated you taking the time out to, to speak to us, uh, I guess, every every other quarter or so after your results. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how, how you look at it, this is likely to be our, our last uh, OPI Talk podcast, at least with you in your capacity as CEO of ACO Brands. You announced last week that you will be retiring as CEO from the 1st of October, but I think then staying on in a chairman capacity until uh, the spring or, or the middle of, of 2024. So I guess congratulations on, on, on that. Thank you. Tom Tedford will take over uh, as CEO on the, the 1st of October. Now, I guess we'd kind of seen that coming when, when Tom was named COO in in 2021. I think that for us, or certainly for me, that followed a pattern that you'd that uh, happened with you yourself and uh, Bob Keller 10, 10 years ago. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't a great surprise. Just tell us a little bit about, about the timing. Uh, why now? Well, uh, you know, I'm... Uh... Hmm. I guess, lucky and privileged enough to determine my own timing. That's not always the case when it comes to uh, CEOs, but uh, it wasn't mine. And, um, you know, I began planning for this with the board a few years ago to make sure there's a smooth succession plan, a smooth transition. You know, why now? You know, why not? We're all getting we're all getting a little bit older. We're all getting a little bit wiser. You know, I'm... Um, of age where it's not too old or too young. It's just it's just the right age. Uh, I want to spend more time with my wife and my family. You know, as you can imagine, as your audience can imagine, you know, being a CEO is you know a great job. Um, you know, certainly the best I've ever had, uh, but it's also a job of uh, a lot of stress, a lot of responsibility, a lot of uh, uh, travel, a lot of time that's really not your own time. And, uh, you know, after doing this for, for so many years, A, it's time for, uh, you know, somebody else to do it. But from, for, for, from my perspective, it's just, you know, this is a, a right time to, uh, to, uh, to transition. You know, last few years have not been easy with COVID and the after effects of COVID. So that, that, was, that was not a good time to just uh, transition. But now things are a little bit more uh, stable. Uh, I believe the company is in good shape. We certainly have a great candidate uh, to take over, or the gate, a great person to take over as the CEO in Tom Tedford. So you know, all the things yeah. have lined up for this to be a perfect time. That's exactly what I was gonna gonna ask you: whether the fact that we've come out of COVID, uh, there's a window perhaps there of, of to make that transition similar in a way. I guess when when you took over, you'd been been through the financial crisis with with Bob as the CEO back in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, and and then you t- you took over shortly after that so yeah from, from my my point of view some some parallels there with with the transition to tom yeah i i i, I agree i mean you know 
there's never a perfect time. Something is always happening, so there's never a perfect time. But, you know, if you look at um, just the, you know, a little bit more stability than we've had, you know, during COVID, a little bit more certainty about what's happening externally, um, it seems to be a, a, a good time to your point, just like it yeah. was after we uh, exited the Great Recession. Yeah. Give him some time to get his feet under the table before the next crisis comes along. And, 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 well, we know that for sure. Okay, just looking back, you've been with ACO for 18 years, You're 13 of those as CEO. When, when you look back at the company, when you first joined it and now, what would you say are the, the biggest differences? You know, well, certainly, you know, from my, you know, there's some hard stuff and some soft stuff. You know, if you look at the hard stuff is um, our portfolio is very different than it was um, back when I joined. And, you know, I joined ACO in 2004 when it was predominantly an office products company. You know, and I would even say a, a back office uh, a products company with brands that weren't very well known and brands that were, you know, bought by buyers and not demanded by, by the end users. Um, and over the last, you know, 18 years, we really went through a uh, a fairly radical transition to reposition ourselves more to consumer-centric brands that are demanded and bought by consumers and are supplied by uh, our channel partners. We're not we're not done with that. We certainly need to do more. But you know, I'm I'm, I'm pleased what we were able to accomplish. Um, the portfolio is geographically much more balanced. From a you know much has much stronger brands, much more faster growing categories. So there's a lot of positives in the in the portfolio. Um, financially, we are much uh, stronger, uh, much more profitable uh, than we used to be, and we have strong free cash flow generation ability. Mm -hmm. So even though we are more highly levered today than I would like, just based on the latest acquisition that we did in 2020, uh, we certainly are on a path to deliver ourselves and get ourselves in the in the right leverage situation. So financially in a much stronger position. And then the last point I would say, you know, the soft one is culturally people-wise. You know, I think our culture is a lot stronger uh, than it was back in 2004. Um, you know, it's really based on meritocracy and and, and people enjoy, enjoy uh, working here. They get the freedom to do what they want to do in an environment that is, you know, both accountable, but also respectful and, you know, quote unquote, nice. Mm. So it's a, it's a good place to work. So I'm, I'm very proud of uh, my tenure mm. as a CEO. Uh, you know, it's never perfect. Nothing is ever perfect. You know, I wish our stock price was 10 times what it is now. <laughs> Don't fall of it. So I think we, we've done a good job and, um, you know, the rest is still to be, still to be written, so to speak, yeah. but I think good path. Good. What would you say has been your biggest challenge as CEO? You know, we, we talked a little bit about when we talked about the markets, just the markets, the external environment's been very difficult. And it's not just the Great Recession and COVID, which certainly affects everybody. It's not it's not just ACO, but, you know, as an industry, we're going through a lot of consolidation. And if I look at the amount of consolidation that our traditional channels have undergone over the last, certainly 18 years, but even over the last 10 years. And it's not finished uh, yet. 
it's not it's not finished yet. So that 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 certainly has been challenging. You always are facing pressure because of that. You know, you you get fewer customers, and as they consolidate, they they buy less as they reduce inventory. So you have to refill that bucket somewhere else, and you're always racing to refill that bucket somewhere else. And that you know certainly in our industry, I think has been much more challenging than uh, than elsewhere. You know, if I Within that environment, if I look at our accomplishments, we certainly, I think, stand out. Um, you know, there's a lot of companies that are either no longer existent or are a foreshadow of what they used to be over the last uh, 18 years. And, uh, you know, I think in that, from that comparison, Ackle Brands has done really well. Okay. An accomplishment in itself, just to still be here. <laughs> Oh, and be here and be, and be thriving, right? You know, yeah. not, not be on the deathbed, but be, be thriving and doing well. Yeah. Any regrets, any sort of the acquisition that got away or the market you could have entered when you, when you had the chance and it didn't quite work out? You know, I, I, I'm sure in hindsight, I could have done and we could have done things uh, uh, better and uh you know the timing of them. Some things was not uh, perfect. You know we did some things right before COVID that you know I wish we, we would have waited. But you know, would I regret making the same decision in the moment? No. We make the best decisions with the information we have, and then we would do the best of it. Not you know none of these moves are ever perfect. You know for every two steps forward, there's probably a, a step back. Mm-hmm but that's just how business is and how life is. So it's, uh, you got to make the best out of it and, and, and move on. And, uh, and I think we've done that. Yeah. So what, what plans do you have? You said you wanted to spend more time with the family. Any, any sort of other firm plans? How are you going to spend your time? Well, the reason I'm retiring is not to have plans. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have plans. I want to stay in and work. Uh, I just, you know, I want to have no plans. I want to spend more time with my my family and my wife, and then I'll figure it out. You know, I'm certainly not planning to work full time, but if I can contribute, you know, part time somewhere, I'd be happy to look at that. But nothing, nothing on the agenda, and that's just how I like it. Mm. Might be some lucrative, non-exec board roles on the on the horizon or something like that. Yeah, if something yeah. comes up, I'll look at it yeah. again. I don't, I don't, you know, there's not a slot I'm going to. Yeah. Uh, I'm not in any rush, but if something comes up, I'll be happy to take a look at it. All right. Okay, good. So so what actually happens now for the next few weeks in, in the company? Is a, is a lot of the heavy lifting for the transition already occurred? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, the, the fact that Tom is president and chief operating officer today makes the transition a lot easier. Uh, he's involved in everything that I do. And, you know, over the next six weeks, he'll just take a more of a leadership role in those things. And as of October 1st, he'll be the uh, CEO. Uh, but I think from a transition standpoint, it's going to go you know, very, very smoothly. I, you know, I, I, I can't envision any any difficulty in, uh, uh, in transitioning because he is such a known quantity, both in the industry and also mm-hmm. in, in our own company, that it will, will go very smoothly. So, so what do you do after the 1st of October? You, do you still have an office somewhere or... How much time yeah. will you be spending in in the chairman role? I'll have a small office. It will cubby hole somewhere. They'll put you in. Yeah. Office, and I'll have a small office. 
uh, yeah, and I, I plan to be here not all the time, but but you know once in a while. And I'm really here to help him in the transition. There, there are certain things that you're not exposed to until you are the CEO. You know, most of them having to do with just external relationship, whether it's investors or bankers or things of that sort. So I'll, I'll help him with that uh, transition, and then we'll continue to lead the board as the as the chair of the board for the next uh, few months. Uh, until I retire, you know, as I mentioned, I'm in the first half of 24. Okay. I just had, you just had a, what is probably your last earnings call as CEO. It is my last. I don't imagine you'll be on the one at the end of October, I guess. Uh, That's correct. When, when, when that. that, yeah. But obviously you'll be still in charge for the current quarter's results and responsible for the for those before Tom officially takes over. So let's just look at the the current results and the performance in the most recent quarter any for example on the demand environment in, in the different markets what, what's your take on that you know demand has been as expected you know we mentioned on the call that our global sales were down five percent versus a year ago we we expected that to be the case there's some puts and takes uh, within that but overall as a company we expect it to be down last year in the first half we did well you know, if I look at our North American uh, business, we grew 4%. But if I strip away Powerade, which did not have a good Q2 last year, we actually grew 12%. Yeah. So, you know, clearly that's not a sustainable growth rate uh, for our types of uh, products. So we expect it to be, to be down, and we're down about 4% in North America. Europe uh, also had difficult uh, comps. You know, last year, Q2, really at the end of Q2, when we started to see the effects of uh, the war in Ukraine on the business, plus you know the higher inflation rate that 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 Europe certainly has seen through uh, the last uh, year uh, started to show up really in in the second quarter. Plus, we did a price increase in Europe in July, so there are some pull forwards of the orders into the second quarter. So uh, European sales were down nine percent, uh, but a lot of it is comp and just you know as you know andy as you live there you know very difficult economy in europe over the last uh, 12 months so all of that um has certainly affected the demand uh in europe and in in international it was a a mixed quarter you know it's our smallest quarter in international so it's not a we're down about two percent and two percent is 1.7 million dollars so it's not a big number mm. um uh, it's easy to just overcome it in a day but in international, the demand in Asia and Australia is also down compared to uh, a year ago. Same reasons as we're seeing all over the world, just you know, more difficult economy. Um, and also people working um, in a hybrid environment. That's certainly the case is, uh, in Australia. Uh, and then Latin America continues to do well mm. and uh, growing. And um, that, that I expect that to be the case in the second half of the year as well. Yeah. The one thing that was... A little bit of a surprise. I mean, uh, certainly we expected better is computer accessories. Uh, as I mentioned on the call, you know, we did not see any improvement in in those sales in that environment, and uh, uh, which was which which was a surprise. I certainly expected things to to pick up after after a pretty weak Q1, yeah. uh, but they didn't. Yeah. Uh, so now we think that uh, computer accessories actually will be down uh, for the year, yeah. even though we I, expected up in Q3, Q4. Yeah, we don't. Sorry, I, I saw a figure of negative 20% on computer accessories that was at across the board or North America? 
No, it's pretty much across the board. I mean, there's puts and takes, but every region was down. Uh, I'd say North America and EMEA were down more than international. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, both, you know, roughly. There's 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 some, you know, some one-off things. You know, demand overall is certainly down in technology and, 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 and PC space. You saw, you know, PCs are down 25% uh, from a year ago. People brought forward a lot of purchases in... 2020 and 2021 and 2022. So now we just need to digest all of that. And then the second issue, you know, due to the chip shortage last year, there were a lot of double and triple buying last year. and People were ordering way ahead of when they needed inventory uh, and committing to that. So all that inventory is flooding the channel this year and it needs to be sold through. So the, mm-hmm. the new, new orders on manufacturers such as ourselves I certainly down disproportionately because of that chip shortage last year. Okay, so you think there's still inventory in in the various channels that are having to be sold through? So the underlying demand in the market is not necessarily what you're seeing in your numbers. That's exactly right. The yeah. underlying demand is better, but we do have that inventory that needs to be sold through. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and similar story with inventory in, in back to school. I think you're expecting lower sales this in the past in the second quarter due to difficult comps with the early buying last year, but that didn't actually happen, did it, this time? Not as much as we expected. Yeah, we expected a return to normal, back-to-school back to cyclicality, where resellers bring in a certain amount of inventory before the season start, and then they replenish as the season goes on. But it seems like they brought in more than is normal. Uh, so we, now we anticipate a little bit less replenishment right. in Q3. And more, more, more upfront inventory, which is what they did last year as well. They brought all this inventory early to secure supply last year, and they replenished very little during the season. Sure, and we were expecting them to to have more more sales in the third quarter this year. Uh, and uh, yeah, any any re- any reason why they they brought stuff stuff in perhaps earlier? Just just supply chain risk and reducing reducing their their risk there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's that. And I think also um, everybody's still nervous about the economy. You know, we've been brainwashed for a year about the upcoming recession, right? I think it's etched on everybody's brain that recession is coming, recession is coming. It's the, you know, yeah. Yeah, I've got a question here. I'll ask Boris about the R, the R word and what, what he thinks about that. But uh... <laughs> I think, yeah, I think with that, resellers are nervous and they don't mm-hmm. want to carry inventory that they need to. So I think... They're going to be, at least what we're hearing, they're going to be very, very conservative with any replenishment plans. And that's both on the consumer side and business side. Everybody just does not want to sit on inventory that now actually costs real money, right? With the interest rates yeah. as high as they are, it's not like it's free. Mm. You know, it actually costs money. So they, they they want to be conservative. Yeah. Any any sense that consumers are trading down this back to school, more, more private label brands or lower price points? You know, it's hard to tell. Yet, I mean, certainly as a generic statement, consumers are trading down. You see that in food purchases and in some commodities. If I look at back to school, it's, it's a little bit too early to tell whether it's consumers are trading down, or whether it's the channel that's featuring more private label, lower price products, because they think that's what the consumers want. So I think we'll have a better sense after the season's done and we see what the actual demand is, what the consumers are buying. Uh, Certainly right now in early seasons, uh, we do see 
more private label being uh, on shelf and on promotion. Uh, but I'm not sure that's you know consumers trading down or it's our mm. partners featuring more private label because of the concern that they have about the discretionary spend the consumers have. Mm. Now, one of your key priorities at the beginning of this year was to improve your margins. And it looks like you've done a good job on that so far. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We, we, we gave up a lot over the last really three years since COVID. You know, the first year, 2020, it was all about COVID reduction in volumes and took a big hit to our margins as a result. Uh, we improved in, in 2021, certainly not enough, but certainly uh, improved versus 2020. And then last year, from a margin standpoint, was really a disaster because we, we saw this huge inflation everywhere, but especially in Europe, right? In Europe, it was double-digit, strong double-digit inflation, and it's very difficult to overcome that in a timely manner with both costs and, and, and prices. So we've been at it for uh, two years trying to catch up, and uh, we did catch up in uh, in the first half of this year. So finally, we just recovered our margins back to the uh, pre-COVID levels, and you know, I think we're in the right place. And now it's just staying on top of it, right? I don't. Ex- I, I think inflation is going to be down versus what we've seen, but it's not going to be negative. I mean, it's still going to be low to mid single digits. So now we just need to stay on top of it so that we, um, you know, can get a fair fair value for what we sell. Yeah, uh, the comment that uh, interested me that Tom made on the on the call. Uh, last week, he said there there are still significant opportunities to simplify operations and the cost structure. I mean, you, you already seem to have done quite a lot of work on that. What uh, what more is there to do? You know, one of the things that COVID did is really changed consumer purchasing uh, habits, and 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 it and it's really around a couple of things. It's really around less work in the office, more work from home. And, um, you know, for us, we have to re-examine, you know, how much uh, manufacturing capacity do we need for the products that are primarily targeted for the office. Mm. And really the opportunity for us is really to look at our footprint and see if it's, um, if it is what what is necessary to support demand or if we are underutilized and we have opportunities to reduce our footprint and make ourselves more uh, efficient. We did some of that. Uh, I know you and I talked about uh, a factory closure in Europe that we did uh, mm-hmm. a few months ago. We did we did one in North America also uh, last year. So just continuing to do that examination and in, in optimizing the footprint uh, is, I think, the opportunity mm-hmm. that, that Tom talked about. Okay. Obviously, I follow other companies in in the sector and the manufacturing sector seem to be doing the the same thing on a on a global basis, looking at their their footprint and their and their number of SKUs, reducing SKUs. And I know you've been doing that as well, haven't you? Exactly, yes. Yeah. Okay. So just your thoughts on the, the rest of the year from a performance perspective. What are you looking forward to or not? <laughs> you know, we, we think that the economy is going mm. to be in slow growth. A, a few months ago when we first uh, did our outlook for the year, we expected first half to be slower than the second half. We no longer think that's the case. We think that the second half will be, you know, just as slow, if not slower than the than the first half. Again, primarily having to do with concerns about the recession and people not wanting to hold more inventory than they need to and just being very guarded in uh, 
in what they spend their money on. And this is both from a reseller perspective and uh, an end user perspective. So we we actually took our sales guidance down a couple of points for the year before we thought it was going to be down zero to three. Now we think it's going to be down two and a half to four and a half at midpoint at constant currency. So that's on the demand side, demand just being a little bit slower than we anticipated. Um, but on the on the positive side, you know, we certainly expect to hold our margins, and that's going to help offset the really the top line decline. So from a overall profitability standpoint, we still expect to deliver what we initially expected in terms of earnings per share. And then, you know, we're we're just managing our working capital better. We were able to reduce our our inventory by close to seventy five million dollars from a year ago. And you know, given everything that I've said, we continue to, we're going to continue to be tight in managing inventory. So as a result of that, we expect to uh, generate a little bit more free cash flow. We said at least 110 million dollars, which is up 10 million versus what we did uh, uh, before. So, uh, well, you know, we still ex- expect a good year, but just the demand environment is going to be more conservative mm. than we thought going into the year. Okay. All right, Boris. Thank you for your time. Uh, enjoy the next next few weeks. And also, you've got. To, I guess you could be busy with the City of Hope into the sort of the last stages of the the fundraising efforts there before the the big event in Chicago in September. I think September fourteenth, a month yeah. from today. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Final so month from today. The final push on the on the fundraising efforts. I hope to see everybody there. I'm sure that many of our listeners will be there. Thank you again, Boris. I've enjoyed our many podcasts and. Uh, yeah, all the best in, in your retirement and take care. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for everybody's support and uh, best of luck to everybody. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. If you have got this far, then thank you for listening to this episode of OPI Talk. Please check out our website, opi.net, for news, interviews, analysis, and much more from the business products world. We've also got a great app that you can download from the App Store or Google Play. Just search for OPI Magazine. And we hope you will join us again soon for another episode of OPI Talk.